Sweet Christmas, y'all. Oh my gosh. I am looking at pictures of the new Luke Cage sixth scale figure from Sideshow, and it is amazing. It is kind of reminiscent of classic Luke Cage vibe that we saw in the Cage comic from Brian Azzarello and Richard Corbin, especially because he comes with so many cool accessories. He's got uh, like chains, wristbands, this really, it's not leather? I don't know if it's pleather or just a leather-like jacket and more, but he's got uh, these sort of knuckle rings uh, that say Luke and Cage. And in that limited series, it just one of the covers is him. It just says Cage. It's so cool, so iconic. I love it. Uh, this dude comes with a fabric costume, and he's super detailed. I have a bunch of Sideshow's six-scale posable figures. They're amazing. Uh, just so detailed, down to the littlest things. It makes me so happy that they're doing a cool Cage uh, in this line. You guys are going to want it. you got to go to Sideshow.com slash cage to get yours because it's available for pre-order now from sideshow you're gonna want it it's gonna be great thank you to sideshow for being our advertiser on this episode Welcome to This Week in Marvel, episode number 345. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I am Jamie Frevely, a.k.a. Agent OK. <laughs> Agent OK? Agent OK. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. It's, it's some, just OK. It's, some, it's just OK. Yeah. It's just OK. So uh, I'm going with this week. You know what's not just OK? What's really awesome is this week is... Cloak and Dagger Mania. Obviously, we had the two-hour season premiere this week on uh, Freeform of Marvel's Cloak and Dagger. Two episodes, two hours. I'm a, I got a little secret. I've watched four episodes so far. <gasps> I'm ahead. And uh, I like the first two. I thought they were really good. Three and then four. Oh, man. I am hot to trot for that. What can you tell us about it, Ryan? Nothing. nothing. I will not spoil any secrets. Nothing? You're uh, going to put a cloak over that? Yeah. Ooh, that's, that was real good, Jamie. The episode's <laughs> really good. I, I'm excited for you guys to check it out because it's different. It's got a different vibe. It hits a lot of cool uh, subjects and topics, and the show is really well done. Olivia Holt, she's terrific, but she's a veteran. Like she is, She's an actress, a singer. Yeah. She knows what she's doing. Aubrey Joseph, who plays Cloak, it's wild how good he is out of the gate. Every episode you watch him and he's getting better and just his emotion and the way he carries himself as Cloak and the vulnerability of that character in this world, fantastic. I've been reading some of the books lately and mm-hmm. I'm so interested in seeing how, how Marvel's Cloak and Dagger isn't going to interpret these two characters. And I, I love watching the, them become three-dimensional. It's a really fun thing to do, even if it's not going to be exactly like the book. It's Because is this show based in New Orleans? It sure is. That's see, that's different. That's a cool, very cool very difference. Different, yeah. New Orleans is such a beautiful city. It's a completely different culture. So it's going to be awesome to yeah. see how that's different. Totally. And we did uh, a special episode of Earth's Mightiest Show, which was sort of a watch party for Marvel's Cloak and Dagger and really a celebration of all things Cloak and Dagger. I joined it to talk about some of the comics and other stuff. Angelique Roche from Marvel's Voices was on. She is from New Orleans, so she talked a lot about what you were just saying. We both want to see more New Orleans food in the show uh, just because I go there because of my wife. She's from down there. And so 
I love a good po' boy. I love boudin balls. Uh, I love gumbo, jambalaya, you know, like so much food. I am allergic to shellfish, so I just want to go for the ghosts. You can you can eat really well without eating shellfish down there. We also had Josh Soleil talking about video games and uh, Lorraine and Langston leading us through. So check that out uh, wherever you watch your Marvel videos. I did a fun video with Aubrey and Olivia for Marvel Let's Play where we played the Cloak and Dagger level in Lego Marvel Super Heroes 2, uh, which was fun because when I posted that on social media, the level designers for the game were so excited. They were just like, oh my gosh, these are the <laughs> actors playing the level that I designed for the game based on the characters that they play. It was just a really wonderful meta scenario. I love it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Check that out wherever you watch your stuff. Talking about games, there's more stuff. I asked Josh, hey Josh, what is going on with Cloak and Dagger and various video games? So he threw down a bunch of info for me. He told me about some stuff that's happening in Marvel Puzzle Quest. So you can play as Cloak and Dagger in Marvel Puzzle Quest through July 5th. Even if you haven't earned the characters yet, which I think is a really neat thing, gives you a little little taste of who they are. And if you're new to Marvel Puzzle Quest, you can sign up, join the game, and you get a special four-star comic cover in the game, which is just a neat, you know, like, plus, like, hey, come now, stay forever. We've got you forever. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Once you're in, you're in. Exactly. In Avengers Academy, there's a Cloak and Dagger event going on right now. Uh, and you can play either Marvel Puzzle Quest or Avengers Academy, and you get a free preview of the brand new comic. Jamie. Oh, man. We announced a brand new comic this week. It was a huge surprise. There's a six-issue digital comic that just dropped this week. Writer is Dennis Hopeless, and the artist is David Messina. It is available in... The Marvel Digital Comic Shop, Comixology, and Kindle, you can get it pretty much any, any, pick your poison. You can get Cloak and Dagger, and it's it's brand new. I got to talk to Dennis Hopeless this week about it, so on Marvel.com we have an interview with the writer and a few preview pages if you want to get a little taste, a little amuse-bouche before buying the issue. Jamie, I know you love the tattoos, as yes. I do. Dennis's wife is a really incredible tattoo artist. Really? Uh, and I, I wanted to go... I want to say they're somewhere around Kansas City, maybe? I think that's right. So that that's a trip I should make. I'm still like trying to figure out what kind of Marvel tattoo I want, but oh, that is so cool to know. Yeah. Dennis is awesome. The first issue of this is really cool. What I said on Earth's Made a Show is that it really is a good intro if you are just coming in because of the hype around the show or you've seen them in the games or just in the general sphere of Marvel goodness. But... If you have been reading Marvel comics, you know Cloak and Dagger, you've read a bunch of their stories over the years, it touches on a bunch of things that have led them to where they are right now. It goes back to their very earliest days and some of the elements there, and it is a gorgeous issue. Yeah, I think just the duality, the contrast of Cloak and Dagger in general, it's just, it just makes for a really beautiful looking comic. Mm-hmm. But that said, if you are brand new or you just want a little more background information, there's actually, there, we have a couple of stories on Marvel.com about Cloak and Dagger. We have a reading guide. We also have a Marvel 101 going up this week. So. Nice. Um, I, I would love to indulge and give some of my favorite picks for Cloak and Dagger comics. Obviously, their first appearance in Spectacular Spider-Man number 64. Then they show back up a couple issues later in 69 and 70, I believe. They mess with Silvermane. Silvermane is one of my favorite like 80s Spider-Man villains because he's an old, old, old man in a robot (laughs) body who's like, I'm an old, decrepit mob boss, but I'm going to live forever. And he's just such a 
jerk. He's such a jerk, and he, he's he's terrible. Uh, so they he they show up there. Then that is 1982, if I believe, and then in '83 they show up uh, with their first limited series. Uh, and Bill Mantlo is the writer for all this stuff that I'm talking about there. Um, Ed Hannigan draws their first appearance, but Rick Leonardi draws the four issue limited series and it is phenomenal i would put that art up with anything you're looking at from that time period even to today rick leonardi's art is always great but he does some really wonderful double page splashes his character work is really really interesting and the the darkness the grit and the like just the the gnarliness of 1980s new york city that he puts forth in that series so good that gives their origin it introduces a bunch of characters who you see in the television show it is tremendous i would highly suggest you read that on marvel unlimited or just get it from your local comic shop i'm sure we put out a trade of it recently uh speaking of trades there's a really good one called cloak and dagger runaways and reversals um i gave this as a suggestion to mr josh soleil because he was asking for some stuff to read uh and it's got really great crossovers with the runaways which is tremendous Mm -hmm. uh those issues are really good has a three-issue Spider Island limited series, which was one of the first things that amazing Spider-Man writer Nick Spencer wrote. Um, and there, there's a bunch of other things in there. So that's some really good stuff that I would suggest if you want to check out some Cloak & Dagger comics. You know what I was thinking about when you were talking about Silvermane is I wonder if Silvermane, as an old dude inside of a robot suit, ever got together with Vulture, who's an old dude in a hmm. bird suit. Because now what I'm thinking is, what if there's somewhere out there a sort of geriatric villain cabal where they all get together, but then you have the group of geriatric superheroes, Old Man Logan, Old Man Hawkeye, Old Man Captain America, Old Man Steve Rogers. Isn't there a old man, movie old about Lady old Laurel? men like, hanging out? So, well, yeah. I'm into this idea. I want to see a team of just older people, like yeah. good guys, bad guys. They still oh. got it? Yeah. Did they get their own Golden Girls theme song? It's great. Now, now you're talking my language. Yeah. Yeah. That's where we're at. So if you guys are excited about Cloak & Dagger as we are... Plenty of stuff to get you uh, get you going. This month is Pride Month. I want to say, woo happy, happy Pride, Pride Month! We love you. You're loved. You're supported. No matter who you are, who you love, we love you back. Pride Month is great, but yes. uh, hopefully it's Pride forever. Jamie. So you're going to E3, I guess? Going here? to E3. I will be leaving shortly within a day or two after the episode goes live. I'm excited. If you follow our games folks on Facebook, Twitter, you know that they've been sharing some photos around Los Angeles relating to a certain character who has a mm-hmm. certain game mm-hmm. coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're very excited. Can't say too much. I want to leave it all to what's coming the next week or so. Yeah, don't. Uh, we're not going to spoil this for you. It's just too good. Yeah, but uh, I hope to see anybody uh, who listens at E3. I'll be around shooting some stuff, recording some stuff for This Week in Marvel, for Earth's Mightiest Show. Angelique Roche will be there. She's doing some Marvel's Voices stuff. She's going to be joining me on some other stuff that we're doing. Josh Soleil will be there doing some gaming stuff. It's going to be awesome. I get to see my my family on the games team, which always makes me happy. Billy and Mike Jones and uh, Eric and Becca and all them. Oh, and our our West Coast editorial crew and social media crew. Love. Be there. It's gonna, we're going to be rolling deep. You're going to have a great time. You're going to have so much to tell us. Yeah. I, I also, I'm just a big video game nerd. Yeah. So I enjoy just like, you know, walking from one thing to another and just seeing all the crazy setups. If you've never been to E3, think of a comic convention. <laughs> then add $20 million to every booth, <laughs> build them up 40 feet, 
add tons of lights and sounds, that's where you get E3. It's huge, it's big, it's loud, it's crazy, and it's all about a celebration of video games. That is, I'm not even into video games, and that sounds awesome. Yeah. I think anybody could have fun there, easily. Totally. I'm fine with not being good at video games. I'm happy for everyone else who is. My, my wife only plays uh, Diablo 3 with me. We play it together, but she watches when I play the games. My favorite game, maybe of all time, is called Witcher 3, and she watched that throughout the entire playthrough. You know, she's writing her book and doing whatever, but she would, like, tell me to make decisions like <laughs> she's like what are we doing in the movie tonight uh was how she looked at it it was great like a side seat driver yeah so i'm excited for marvel spider-man coming this september for us to be able to play that together it's gonna be great cool uh i played a really good game of free cell on my phone the other day but i, <laughs> I don't have to tell you about it. uh oh speaking of marvel games uh on the phone uh shout out to mr head and the rest of the this week in marvel alliance members for marvel strike force uh we have a Good little alliance going on the game. I uh, just added a couple people from Twitter. It's tight. We can't. We only have 24 people and very active alliance, so I can't add anybody right now. But we're doing really great. And then Brian Stranko, our buddy, who our buddy. Uh, is now caught up on, yeah. the, on the show. Welcome back. You made it. Yes. He actually made a Discord server for our This Week in Marvel Strike Force alliance. But you know what? I said... Even if we don't play, why don't we let our listeners come in and chat and, you know, like share some stuff. If you guys don't know what Discord is, it allows you to chat, whether it's text or voice. It's a really neat service. And I think for our listeners, Maniacs want to join in and just chat, ask us questions, do whatever it is. I'm going to sort of keep it up uh, as much as I can. So we're going to keep the link to the uh, This Week in Marvel server in the story for on marvel.com yep. and uh, maybe keep that up for a couple weeks to make sure hey anybody who wants to join in um, doesn't have to be just this week i think it'll be cool and a fun experiment it's not an official marvel one it's created by one of our fans but he's totally cool with us adopting it and using it and having some fun with it we like it when fans make us stuff yeah we have great fans absolutely you know we what do. else we have that's great our dang comic books oh yeah we do yes. oh we have some good ones this week oh man so for those of you who want to read your books before you get into this part of the podcast, first up, we've got Doctor Strange, number one. Then we've got Ant-Man and the Wasp, number one. And then the Immortal Hulk, number one. So if you need to pause the show now, read your books, come back. We're going to get into it. And I'm so excited. And we'll be right here for you. Right now. So Doctor Strange, number one. If you listen to Marvel's The Pullist, you know that Tucker and I fangirled out hardcore about Doctor Strange the last, I don't know, long time. Because we had Donnie writing previously, amazing team of artists, Fraser Irving, Nico Hanrakan, and, and so many others. Uh, but before that, we even had Jason Aaron doing pff, tremendous work over the last couple of years. So Doctor Strange has been in a wonderful place. And now it's in a completely different direction Yeah, under the auspices of Mr. Mark Wade as writer, artist Jesus Saiz, letters by Corey Petit. I I think someone told me, it was like, Mark Wade's going to write Doctor Strange. And I was like, yeah, that's great. I love Mark. He's, he's a wonderful writer. And they're like, Jesus Saiz is drawing it. And I melted into a puddle of mystical goo. I came back, a virgin angel, light <laughs> shone upon me. I exploded and I said, cool. I really like his work. Because I do. It's tremendous. It's it's beautiful. Right? It is this gorgeous... I, the, the word that keeps getting in my head about Jesus' work is organic. You know, he, yeah. the way he draws 
figures and textures and just everything. It feels tangible and real and just organic. But there's also uh, the, the element of darkness and horror uh, that sort of runs through it. At the beginning of this issue, we see this this shot of classic Doctor Strange. He's got his little gloveys on. He's got his old puffy shirt. And he's fighting this massive monster, this galactus or celestial-sized demonic mystic entity. Basically who, a mouth with tentacles. It's terrifying. And it, and it looks like mud wood god. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, right? I do. And there's this page. Two pages, actually, where Strange is, we see that Strange has been fighting this monster in like a, a dimensional shift. Yeah, this is, I loved this so right? much. Yeah. And, and, and so you see the slit between our reality and this other reality being sewn up and closed up by Strange. It's just such a cool visualization. And the way it's colored and everything, you know, Jesus Saiz is one of those amazing artists who tackle the entirety of the process you know the, yes. the pencils the inks the colors so it's it's like a one-stop shop it just it feels so singular yeah and i think you used the word tangible before mm -hmm. it th that's what this pair of pages feels like yeah it's actually reminded me of when i learned how to tie my shoes mm. i can remember what the laces felt like because that's what's huh. kind of involved. Yeah. yeah. It's really cool to look at. I mm -hmm. felt it. I felt this one. Yeah. The scene ends by Strange being like so excited. He's floating him in there. He's like, I am the Sorcerer Supreme! Yelling and screaming. This and then, is, yeah, this is Stephen Strange remembering who he is at the core and then later on. Yeah. And so face to black. And then we, when we flip the page, it's seven years later. And he's a very different Stephen Strange. He is losing his... His mojo, really, his his ability to see, sense, perform, experience magic. It's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking because what set Stephen Strange apart was his ability to see beyond reality. And now all he sees is reality. And I can't imagine what that must feel like. Suddenly having that kind of access to other dimensions and then not knowing what's there anymore. Yeah. Knowing it's still there, mm -hmm. but not not being able to see it anymore. Like, it's got a... That's gut-wrenching. Yeah. And uh, th there's this page which really, like, hammers that home. It's five panels of Strange holding on to the cloak of levitation, oh. and the cloak's not doing anything. He's he's losing it. And the the pain, the sadness is so deep. So... What does Strange do? He has to go to someone who has hit rock bottom and come back up, Tony Stark. I love this interaction with Stark. It's two guys with their iconic facial hair. I was just going to say, like, it's two handsome men, two dark-haired handsome men with dark facial hair getting nitty-gritty about the nitty-gritty. Yeah. And, and Tony's building something with olives and straws. And sure. It's just really Why wouldn't funny. he? He's bored. He's got to keep busy. He's got to keep busy. Yeah. And so Strange... As like, Tony, what do you do? Blah, blah, blah. And, and Tony Stark's like, bro, space, man. Just <laughs> go to space, you dingus. That's not another dimension. It's just right over there. Yeah. We you go think, there all the time. You think we have the lock on magic in the universe, which is such a like a push. I get it. So yeah. this arc, this story that Mark and Jesus are telling is the tale of 
Doctor Strange going to space to reignite his magic. I wonder who he's going to meet in space, considering how many, how much of the Marvel Universe is not on Earth, you know? Yeah, I, I think we, we have, uh, we've done some interviews with Mark talking about, like, could he meet a Skrull sorceress? Does he meet a Badoon warlock? Is there a Kree mystic wielder? Like, you can look at any of the alien races in the Marvel Universe and the possibilities. Like, I would love to see a brood sorcerer because that is utterly upsetting to me. Mm. What's right. not upsetting is another sort of cosmic-y type book. Oh, yeah. Ant-Man and the Wasp, number one. I loved this because it was just so colorful. But it's also a really, really fun story between Scott Lang and Nadia Van Dyne in Ant-Man and the Wasp, number one. Also written by Mark Wade, artist Javier Garon, and color by Israel Silva, letterer by VC's Joe Caramagna. There's a lot going on, but it's... It's very sciencey, but at its core, it's just about Scott and Nadia bantering back and forth and then finally getting together as a team. So it's very cool. It actually starts off with a flashback to Janet Van Dyne and Hank Pym and their love story and then goes, this is not that story. Well, one of my favorite things is the first line of dialogue in the book is Nadia saying, I hate you. It's so good. (laughs) That's the tone of the book right away. Absolutely sets the tone. Immediately, and then it's Nadia and Scott just flat out arguing because Scott is such a dude. He's just such a dude. Then we also have Scott adds it. I, you, I love how I love much it. you love Scott adds <laughs> I do. Yeah. I just love when he shows up. It's yeah. like the best thing ever. And he's saying words that I'm not even going to try to pronounce but are very nice looking on the page. Cappadoraxican Wilder Blossom. Is, is one of them, which, which is uh, this weird flower thing that Scott gets for Cassie, his daughter, while he's in space. But Javier Garon can draw monsters and weird stuff like nobody. He's it's... crushing it. Also, facial expressions. One yeah. of, I'm looking at like the second spread in here. I think every panel is so emotive and such like good acting you get a sense of who these characters are you get that smarmy like sort of scott trying to charm his way back to earth you get scott adds it being like get this guy out of here you get nadia yeah. like i the the i hate you eyes yeah the eyes tell yeah. everything i relate to nadia just because <laughs> i've known so many scott langs in my life and I mean, I'm not 18 the way Nadia is, but sometimes I feel like that's just the way women look at men. <laughs> sometimes it, that's just a universal look that we learn really, really early. So Scott needs to get home and he needs Nadia's help. Yeah. Well, what's neat is this picks up from the events of Infinity Countdown. It says, you know, like, hey, Scott joined the Guardians of the Galaxy. The Guardians went up into space. They got involved in a crazy fight for the Infinity Stones and seemingly... He was killed. That's what the Guardians think. Oh. Yeah. But he survived. He just shrank down and got all over the place in the cosmos. And he got himself stranded without a way home. Yep. So what do we get? We get some really killer wasp action. I love how every wasp is drawn. Just really, just everything's very streamlined. It's simple. And it just makes it look, makes her look really fast and 
efficient. Yep. I think it's the efficiency that I dig a lot because yeah. it's like there's probably bells and whistles, but it's microtechnology that's just sort of hidden in there so we don't see it because they need to fly. Everything that Javier does, tremendous. Israel Silva adds so much with the colors, especially when they finally get to the microverse. Oh, this is this is why I wanted this to be my pick, just because the whole theory behind this storyline with the colors is so cool and I like it when it makes you think about the science but it's just the colors are so gorgeous and the lettering's really amazing because they're speaking an alien language yeah and that's exactly what it looks like (laughs) and this is why I really myself need to pay attention more to the lettering because I love when characters like Thor get their own fonts oh yeah like I I love it. it Virtual just... calligraphy, the their team, which I think uh, Joe Caramagna, who's on the VC team, just tremendous as always. The whole crew does such great work. And, you know, part of why we have this cool story about the, the light, the colors, all that stuff is, comes from Mark Wade because he has just deep, actual academic brainy knowledge about wow. physics and, and thoughts that come from science that inform the way he writes this. Oh, thank you so much, Mark Wade. Yeah. You have no idea how much I love that. I love something that's just straight plot that can be kind of on the surface and kind of fast and it just moves. But then when there's something rich like this, it just, it really makes for a devouring type story. Yeah. So we uh, hopefully have a big episode bonus coming for y'all. And Mark Wade talks a little bit about Doctor Strange and Ant-Man and the Wasp in there. So stay tuned for that one. Yeah, there's so much in here. One of the fun things I liked about this is, yes, Scott Lang is a goof up. He is going to mess things up. He he literally messes up his own ride home. Yes, he does. But, but this issue also does a good job of making him feel... Like he's he is a good hero. He he's is. a good guy. He he's a caring human person with a heart, and he really gets to the core of what they're doing here. Like there, yeah, there's a moment in there where he's like, "There's something in trouble. Yeah, I can't not help that person." And th- that gets to the core of why he's such a great character. Yes, he's a good dude. He messes up a lot, but he's going to consistently try, and you feel for him. You root for Scott. It's Yeah, because when it's like a moment like that, you realize Scott's not always about Scott. Yeah. Uh, tremendous pick. Tremendous book. I, yeah. I Five issues of this on the way. Um, uh, we're four more on the way. So I hope you guys check this out and dig into it. Yeah, even the stuff like... It's a good one. Mark ask, you know, asking the questions of like, how do they breathe when they're so small that they're bigger than the air molecules? How do they see when all these things... How sustenance... So many things that you never really think of when you get into the microverse of it all in comics. Well, here's what I was thinking about when I was reading this. Suppose Scott Lang, while he was tiny, got a pizza thrown at him. Just suppose. I know it's a terrible waste of pizza. No one wants to see that. But when he grows to normal size, what is all over him? Like, is it magnified microscopic pizza particles? Or, it like, what is it? What's all over him? I sat in a subway seat thinking about this for a solid five minutes. <laughs> we'll have to figure it out. It's never addressed. Yeah. It is never addressed. Dun, dun, dun. Anyway. Yeah. Great pick. <laughs> Don't throw pizzas. <laughs> that That's a good lesson to be learned. Another good lesson is do not shoot Bruce Banner because <gasps> that's what happens in the Immortal Hulk number one. Oh, my gosh. Okay, everyone... 
you and Tucker and I are apparently all freaking out about this. Yeah. It's so good. And this is also a book that in several of the creative retreats, the editorial teams were freaking out about it. This book is weird and dark. It is a... It's a little X-Files-y. X-Files is a really yeah. good way to talk about it. Uh, horror vibe to it for sure. As I mentioned, it is written by Al Ewing, pencils by Joe Bennett, inks by Roy Jose, Paul Mounts is the colorist, and VC's Corey Petit is the letterer. I mean, it starts out tragically. Har- Horribly. so upsetting. It's, you know, the dude who wants to rob a gas station and... He's already sweating. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, you see the sweat coming in his face. You can feel his nervousness. That's a great way that they tell the story by... In the first page. Yeah, his body page. language, his eyes, the way he's moving and, and standing. You get a sense that this is this is a dude in trouble. And boom, a thing goes wrong inside during the robbery. He not only shoots Bruce Banner in the head, but he shoots a little girl, a 12-year-old kid. He kills a girl, this guy who was robbing the the gas station and it's it's so messed up but you know boom 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 we get to see the sort of the hulk of it all and part of the idea is that hulk has died many times bruce banner hulk dies but you can't kill him uh it's sort of dies and comes back dies and comes back dies and comes back what does that do to your psyche? What does that do to the you, the alter ego oh, that you have, which is this festering rage monster that you try your hardest to control? What happens to that part of you when you keep dying and coming back? It's like Groundhog Day, but so much worse. Ugh. Ugh. And so this Hulk that we get in this book is intelligent. It is dark. It is not evil. But it is menacing. It's it, conflicted. Yeah. There's a, a vibe of monster that we don't always get with Hulk. Uh, and, you know, Al Ewing in the, the back talks about the effect that the original Incredible Hulk comics had on him, especially the cover to number one, the Jack Kirby cover with the, the cover copy, Is He Man or Monster or Is He Both? Mm. And that is really at the core of this at this point, having gone through all this, what is he? Yeah, I love that that aspect of the Hulk, the duality of good and evil, because we know Bruce Banner thinks he's good. But what he does as the Hulk, is that him? It is him. Or is it? How much is really his control? How much is his own personality? How much is the Hulk's personality? Yeah. It's, it's like an Ouroboros of conflict internal conflict which is torture it's got to be torture for bruce banner yeah and you know for many years uh writer peter david really developed a lot of cool things with bruce banner and the hulk the psychology of it all there's been a lot of stories about the abuse that bruce banner suffered when he was a child how that affected him how all of the pieces of his life came together to create who he is and this is just sort of taking that and going in new directions with it and joe bennett joe bennett's great artist been doing comic work for many many years this is to me that like standout book that i was just floors me there's two two-page spreads in the middle of this issue we talked a little bit about it on marvel's the pull list the first one is 
Hulk almost filling up both pages of the spread. And it's Hulk resurrected going after the gunman. With a full moon in the back. Full moon. It's, yeah, beautiful art. The the shadows, the, the pervasive darkness is really important to this book. And the purples and the greens and all that. Every piece of it is so well calculated. The page uh, before it even just builds to it. Like there's, there's, actu- the page, yeah. there's actual suspense. There's such foreboding. Yeah. Well, and a couple pages before that, there's the moment where there's all these guys in this house. And the two giant green arms crash through and pull and just it's terrifying it is really great horror comics and then we get this two-page spread of hulk saying you know sandra ann brockhurst that was her name and you got to think of the way hulk's voice sounds it it's probably sounds like gravel and and dirt and and concrete and and just a canyon yeah if a canyon could growl yeah if a canyon can growl and then you flip and the other two-page spread is just this up-close shot of just Hulk's face. And I, I swear, when I first read this, I went, oh, my God. And it's, I put it down, and I just was, oof. Because he is up in your face. Yeah, it is so effective, so <laughs> damn good. I will not spoil what he says there and what happens afterwards. But, man, I cannot speak highly enough of this book of this run of what is to come i think this is a tremendous debut same here same here get this one get this one and let hulk get up in your face heck yeah yeah all right so those are our picks for the week if you want to learn about all the books that came out this week make sure you're listening to marvel's the pull list we also do a video version oh watch that video yeah me and tucker mugs uh tucker he's wearing clothes every episode we're making sure that that (laughs) happens that's a guaranteed promise his ankles may not always be covered (laughs) fashion boy he knows he knows what he's doing Speaking of Marvel videos, we had a special one with Mr. Charles Soul Chuck, as no one calls him, uh, <laughs> able to, to sit down and uh, talk about, you know, the series that is Charles and Ramon Rosanas doing the story that ties together all the Hunt for Wolverine limited series in one nice story called Dead Ends. I'm excited for it. Comes out August 29th. And in a couple minutes, uh, we're going to have actually uh, more from that interview with Mr. Charles Soule that, you know, you saw the video. of. Now you can hear the whole thing. But yeah, it's super neat. He's back, bub. We have some good Wolverine stuff on the website, including some of the artwork with uh, the claws, the famous claws. We have a really great video about the best claw moments. I think the new image of the claws is going to inspire so many tattoos. Like I I thought it was one of the coolest, most simple, minimalistic, effective images of the claws. Because I have been on the lookout for a Marvel tattoo forever. I don't know what I would get. But, I mean, if you guys have Marvel tattoos, please show them to us. Hashtag This Week in Marvel. Show us your Marvel tattoos. Yeah, and if you're planning on getting a cool uh, Wolverine with Hot Claws tattoo, let us know. Because, yes, uh, to your point, the new art, which I believe is by Adam Kubert, looks so cool. So cool. There's heat. There's light. There's slashing. Jamie, having tattoos, has that been hard for you getting a job? I guess not, because you work here. I work I've got here, tattoos. Yeah. Uh, you work for Ron. He has, he's nerd that he is, has a big old X-Men tattoo. Yeah. Uh, but when you're hiring, it can be difficult to find the right person. Maybe you're, you need someone who is not inked up. Maybe you need someone who is an expert in 
one field that you just it's hard to find. And as someone who's hiring, you need to find the right people for the job. Fortunately, there's ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter.com slash week can help you find the right people if you are hiring. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. With results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. That is the America that we are in right now. Look down. That's America. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at the exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash week. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash W-E-E-K. ZipRecruiter.com slash week. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Thanks to our second advertiser this week, ZipRecruiter. Two advertisers in one week. Surely we'll be able to buy more clothes for Tucker. Uh, we'll <laughs> share the wealth. Uh, so he's just not walking around shirtless as he does. And I talked to Tucker, speaking of the man who does not wear a shirt. Uh, oh, so distracting. He and I uh, got super hyped about the new trailer for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Oh. Super cool. Check that out. But one of the neat things, as someone who loved the show New Girl, I don't know if you ever watched New Girl. Oh, yeah. But Jake Johnson, who plays Nick on the show, voices Peter Parker <laughs> in this new movie. That's it, kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I think of Nick as I'm watching this. It's so fun. The movie comes out around Christmas. It looks really cool. Great that, music in it. Oh, man. And that animation. Oi, beautiful. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, Spider-Verse characters, so fun. You're going to you see Peter, Miles. Uh, Spider-Gwen. Spider-Gwen, uh, which is really cool. And in the original uh, Spider-Verse story, one of the main characters was Spider-Ham. And this week, Hasbro showed, like, they have a new line of Venom Marvel Legends coming out. And one of them just burst through my face because I was so excited for it. It is a Spider-Ham Marvel Legends figure. I cannot wait for that. I'm thinking about Spider-Ham, and I'm thinking about Wolverine's hot claws and how those two should not be near each other. No. At all. No. I would feel really bad for Spider-Ham getting in the way of them hot claws. I don't want to see little piggy Spider-Ham getting hurt by Wolverine. I don't, not even by accident. No. That would make me so sad. Fortunately, we do not go into that discussion when we talk to Charles Soule about uh, Hunt for Wolverine, Dead Ends. Uh, We do talk about a bunch of things, like Ramon Rosanis, who... Man, I love Ramon. Ramon did the last arc of all new uh, Wolverine, okay. the old woman Laura stuff. Mm. So good. And, and he's done so much stuff. So we get real hyped about that. We talk a lot about the uh, the hot claws and the mechanics around that. We dance around some spoiler things. It's fun. So you get a little bit that you saw in that video interview, but really for the whole picture and to learn more about what Charles is thinking for this, listen to this interview with Mr. Charles Soule. Charles Soule. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So you and Steve McNiven, you you guys Mm -hmm. helped usher in the death of Wolverine. And then you have been spearheading the hunt for Wolverine. Yep. But Charles, what are we here to talk about today? We're here to talk about the third part of the, I guess, the Wolverine trilogy. I don't know if he, I mean, that's how I think of it in my head, because it's really three, three huge stories. You've got the death of, hunt for, and now we have the return of Wolverine uh, at last. So within... 
the hunt for Wolverine story. There's been a lot of buildup. Uh, Wolverine's body has been missing. We don't know where it is. I'm sure we'll talk more about that later. But mm-hmm. the idea is the entire Marvel Universe has been looking for him because it's a very important part of the superhero puzzle. And at long last, he will be found. I, I get to do a book again with uh, one of my favorite collaborators at Marvel, uh, Steve McNiven. We did The Death of Wolverine. We did some really fun Uncanny and Human stories. And now it's it's time for us to bring Wolverine back in a, in a really, really big way. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. Uh, I know you've been planning this and working on all these pieces. But one of the things I want to talk about right from the get-go is we've seen this promo image by Adam Kubert and Frank mm-hmm. Martin. Yep. And dude, it looks like... Logan's claws are, are like glowing hot. What's going on? Well, euphemistically, we refer to those as the hot claws. Hot claws. Hot claws. Um, but I want a tattoo on my knuckles. It's like like a symbol and then hot claws. Right? What is, it, what is stopping you? Nothing is stopping you my from doing that. My mom and my oh, wife. Yeah. Okay. Better well, the, judgment. <laughs> yeah, anyway, sorry. So the idea is that when Marvel very graciously asked me to be part of the storyline that brought Wolverine back from the dead, I thought this was a real opportunity to do things that would that would make him feel new and fresh in a way. Like, if you come back from dead, it, it should mean something, right? I mean, traditionally, that's a significant event, coming yeah. back from the dead. And I thought it was a chance just to really, I don't want to say reset him in a way that makes him feel totally different. This is still absolutely Wolverine. It's absolutely Logan, the guy you know and love. But he's also, he's had some changes. He's, he's been through some stuff. And one of the outwardly physical manifestations of that is that now, from time to time, his claws, once they're popped, it doesn't happen every time. It doesn't happen all the time. There's a whole like mechanism behind it and stuff like that. But they can they can heat up. They can get really hot. It's like a uh, the way I think of it in my head and the way I've described it in scripts to Steve is is you've got a uh, like a blacksmith who is working with metal on his his or her anvil, and it can be red hot, yellow hot, white hot, all of that stuff. And Logan's claws can do that now. Again, it doesn't happen all the time. It's a very story centric reason why it does and how it does, and and it's all thought out. It's not just sort of some random oh. Let's make this extreme. I think it's really interesting and really cool the way it's going to work in the stories. But yeah, if if Logan comes at you and his his claws are are you know heated up and blazing, you're in you're in big trouble. Yeah, I, I think there's probably if that's the case, then sucks to be you. Yeah, I mean it sucked are. anyway, right? It <laughs> yeah. was bad enough as it was, but but now it's uh, it's got a little additional wrinkle to it, which I think will be in particular the artists who have gotten to draw it have been very excited about. It. It's a really cool visual and. Uh, it's not really, I wouldn't call it a power. It's more of just, you know, I don't know if you'd call very much of what Wolverine can do a power. You know, most of what his his capabilities are, you'd almost call more of a, a curse sometimes than, than a power. The adamantium skeleton, yep. all the things, like they've cost him a lot to have those things. Uh, maybe the healing factor, but even that, you know, it's, it's not always a good thing for him. And I think these claws... The, the new iteration of his claws are very much a, a an expansion of that idea that it's it's something he can do something he's capable of but it's not always the best for him or or people he runs into nice no i'm excited and you mentioned that you know logan coming back from beyond the veil mm-hmm. that's that changes obviously it changes the person it changed me when it happened <laughs> yep and sure. sure it changed you absolutely every time how else has uh has he changed that we can talk about at this point well yeah i that's a good point because i want to make sure that a lot of these reveals happen within the story. And there was there was honestly a lot of discussion about the claws, about whether we even mention it. But honestly, I think you need to give the readers a little something, you know, give them, give them something to get excited about. And I will say that Wolverine has, has been through a lot. I mean, he's been through a lot as he died. I mean, you know, as we remember from the end of Death of Wolverine, he was essentially entombed in molten adamantium and, and sort of frozen to a statue. It was, it was not great uh, for him. 
presumably. <laughs> I'm going to guess it was really rough. And, and just even that emotional experience itself. But now, now coming back from death and the things he's been through since then, many of which will be explored in the, uh, in the or are currently being explored in the Hunt for Wolverine story, give him kind of a new outlook on his place within the superhero landscape. I think that there was, you know, Wolverine before his death was everywhere. And that was great. He's a great character. You want to see him in as many books as possible. And we really took that to heart. We put him in almost every single book that Marvel published. It felt like that for a little while. And Wolverine had migrated significantly maybe from where he started, which was the guy on the X-Men that you just weren't sure about. You you didn't know why Xavier had brought him in. You didn't know why he was there in the room. He was frightening in a lot of different ways. Like he was the guy who would kill people when none of the other ones would. And I'm not saying I'm my design is to make Wolverine a murderer again. Uh, but I did want to return that sense of danger of... Yeah of uh, you have to be really kind of aware of when Wolverine's in the room because you just don't know what's going to happen next. You put him into a situation and it's it becomes extremely unpredictable right away. And so in order to do that, in order to make that feel like that, I needed to make some changes to him. And again, I don't want to explore in too much detail, mm -hmm. but you'll see how it works in the book. And uh, that's how I want Wolverine to feel. Yeah. And I think that part of that feeling is what made him cool, but also just like, there's something you just want to know about him and, yep. and like that mystery, that coolness, that like danger mm -hmm. added to the allure of the character for so long, which is, is a really important piece to him. Yep. I think if I had one mandate to my my Wolverine series other than Hot Claws, it would be returning that mystery, returning that danger, returning that sense of, you know, we don't know who this guy is. We don't know why he's making the decisions he's making. We just hope things don't go too far off the rails when he's involved. Yeah. I think we first got a hint of everything that's going on that was seeded in the Marvel Legacy one-shot mm -hmm. back in September 2017. What do you think it means to the Marvel Universe to have OG Wolverine, this like the original Wolverine, back on the scene, back involved in, in books, whether it's a ton of them, some of them? What does it mean for our comics and our universe? Well, first of all, I think... It has been interesting to see the response to the phenomenal Old Man Logan books and the All New Wolverine books. I mean, you know, that's Tom Taylor and Ed Brisson and, uh, and, and Jeff Lemire as the writers and all their great collaborators on, on the art. They created really, really strong portrayals of other Wolverines that have been running around the Marvel Universe in the yeah. time that, you know, OG Logan has been dead. So what that said to me was that the, the Marvel Universe really likes this archetype, this idea of this character. And, and while I think Old Man Logan and, and, and Laura Kinney, X-23, are, are very different and strong, strong characters in their own right, there is something about, you know, seeing the next chapter in the story of the guy that you, you've been following since the, since the 60s, right? You know what I mean? Like the character who's been through all these, these adventures, all right. these crazy things, and, is, and has been so central to so many different parts of the events of the Marvel Universe. And I think that is almost the key to Wolverine, because he is he is somebody who has been an Avenger. He's been one of the X-Men. He's been somebody who's had a lot of incredible solo adventures. He has connections to almost every single character in, in the Marvel Universe. He's probably fought most of them. He's tried to kill most of them. Most of them have tried to kill him. <laughs> but at the same time, he's also like had drinks with most of them. And he's like saved most of their lives and done and so many different things. And, and if there's one core character who's who sort of ties it all together, I think... I think Wolverine is probably that. Uh, it's either him or Spider-Man, and, and they're both great. But uh, Spider-Man's alive, and Wolverine's not. So Wolverine's the one that, that we need to deal with right now. <laughs> Getting him back to this place of 
being alive mm-hmm. is part of the story that you're telling. It's the hunt for Wolverine. Yes. Uh, we've seen zombies, new villain squads, which I really dig. That's in Madripoor. Uh-huh. Uh, the nefarious yacht shenanigans that are going on with <laughs> with uh, Luke and, and Jessica and them. And then yep. a really neat team of detectives with a flying car. Yeah. Flying fun. cars are sweet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who is closest to finding Wolverine? That is a great question. So so The Hunt for Wolverine is picked up in Hunt for Wolverine number one, which came out in April, I want to say. And in that story, we learned that Wolverine, who had been stuck in the adamantium statue of himself for years, as far as we knew, had somehow been removed from that statue and, and placed somewhere else. And because that's been out for a little while, I will spoil that actually the X-Men took him out of that statue via Kitty Pride's phasing powers and buried him in, in a beautiful kind of serene grave out in the Canadian wilderness. Because they're like, you know, it just doesn't feel right to have Wolverine up on a pedestal like this. That was, It's not what he would have wanted doesn't feel right. So they put him in another grave and they've kept him there. They've kept the statue there as like kind of a sort of a tribute to him. But uh, Hunt for Wolverine number one story, we found out that not only was Wolverine not in the statue, he also wasn't in his grave. Someone had stolen him from the grave. The X-Men freaked out as as you might think they would because this is their family, right? A member of their family who's yeah. just been it, yanked. It, it works on so many levels too. It's like someone stole their family but stole a potential biological weapon. Absolutely. A source of adamant. Like, there's so many ways that this mm-hmm. is so terrible. Yes, so terrible. And so Kitty Pride, who is leader of the X-Men at the moment, goes out and recruits teams from some of those linchpin groups that, that I mentioned that Wolverine's been associated with. So you get the New Avengers, essentially. She goes to Tony Stark, and he re-recruits the New Avengers. So it's Spider-Man and Luke and Jessica, Luke Cage and Jessica Jones and, and Tony, and they, they go out looking, sort of following the clues that they find. And then you have another team that is led by Daredevil, because I've always thought Daredevil is just such a fantastic detective character, and I've been writing him for years at this point, and I, I feel like I know how to do it, and just seemed like he'd be a good fit. So you have those two groups, and then you have a third group, which is, which is a bunch of villains who hate him, and, and just want to make sure that if he's alive, they want to make to kill him again, make sure he stays dead. And then finally, you have a, a group of, of X-Men um, who have different kinds of connections to Wolverine in their past. So you've got somebody like Jubilee, who saw him as kind of a, a, a father slash mentor figure. And then you've got Storm, who was romantic with him and just all kinds of different mixes. Each one of those teams has its own miniseries that's been running through the hunt for Wolverine. The detective one is Weapon Lost. Uh, Tom Taylor and Arby Silva's New Avengers book is called Adamantium Agenda. The fantastic villain book, which is also a horror-themed thing with a bunch of zombies in it, is is written by uh, Mariko Tamaki and drawn by Butch Geis. And then you have the um, X-Men book with with Kitty Pride and Storm and, and Jubilee and so on, uh, and Psylocke, which is set in Madripoor and is called Mystery in Madripoor. Uh, that's written by Jim Zub and drawn by Tony Silas. So you have these four books, each of which are looking at very different corners of the Marvel Universe trying to, to track Logan down. And the question you asked a long time ago, was do they find him? Does somebody find him? And I will say the story is called Hunt for Wolverine, not Finding Wolverine, which would be a different book. And the hunt wraps up in a story in, a, in another one shot, which will be drawn by Ramon Rosanas, who is fantastic, called Wolverine Dead Ends or Hunt for Wolverine Dead Ends. That you're writing. That I'm writing. Yep. I wrote it uh, and I'm, I'm super happy with it. Like the one of the, the big tricky things about the Hunt for Wolverine is that it needed to be satisfying on every level. Every one of those, every one of those minis needed to wrap up satisfyingly. The Hunt for Wolverine one shot at the beginning need to have a satisfying ending, and now Dead Ends needs to be a satisfying ending. Each one of those parts has to work individually and as part of the larger whole, and as something leading up to Return of Wolverine. So, extremely challenging from a writing perspective. But I really think we, I think we pulled it off. I think all the teams are are doing incredible work and have been 
really great about sort of working within the larger framework about everybody taking the beats they have because everybody's got to have the, like you know mystery and madpore can't have the same clues in it that weapon lost has and so on and so everybody's taken the st- the part of the story that they they get so to speak and has created something really spectacular out of it so then we have hunt for wolverine dead ends which is the the end of the hunt uh, and it's where a lot of the revelations a lot of things people have learned throughout the the other minis will be tied up and will be explained and kind of all put in one place and it has a hell of an ending that will really really get people ready for like Wolverine number 1 whatever whatever it is so, yeah yeah that's exciting uh what more can you tease about the the story you're telling right. for his return this is a little challenging to talk about too much because part of what Hunt for Wolverine does is it gives you the background of the story. It, it gives you a, a sense of where Wolverine's been and, and where he's going to go from there. Um, I will say that the story, it cuts in really, really hard on a, a really intense moment for Wolverine, which I have seen. Steve McNiven has drawn. It looks unbelievable, as everything Steve McNiven draws does. And then and then we're really, we're just off to the races. It's very fast-paced. It's a journey, I would say. He goes from a place and then he goes to another place and then he goes to another place which is super vague but but he, he goes, goes to, to some supermarket yeah to he, laundromat well those are places those yeah. are indeed places yeah, um the... you know what i will say this this is not a literal thing because this is something we've actually seen in wolverine comics before but the the story starts in hell but it is not like a literal marvel universe hell it's a metaphorical hell it's designed to feel like he begins in the afterlife almost. Although it's not literally the afterlife, it is our world, but it's supposed to feel like that. And again, Stephen McNiven did such a phenomenal way of, of evoking like a nightmare, pretty much. A, a situation that that no one would want to wake up in, much less if that's the first thing you see when you're returning from the dead, so to speak. And then we go from there. And, you know, where do you go from hell? I don't know. I guess we'll have to find out together. Um, but it's it's designed to have very rich thematic content as far as what what it would be like to come back from the dead. Yeah. Like, for real, it's not, it is not business as usual for him. It's not business as usual for the Marvel Universe. There are some massive moments that I'm sure Steve will kill me when he gets to those parts in the script. <laughs> but hey, whatever, I'll just come back because that's what, that's what people do, I guess. And uh, I'm really, I don't know. I, I wish I could tell you the whole thing right now. Uh, there's a major, significant new villain who we will get to understand more about through The Hunt, hunt for Wolverine. And uh, she is phenomenal. She. She. Ex- Exclusive. Yeah, she. Nope. It's a lady. That's our clue. Uh huh. She is. She is super, super cool. I. She has a really unique power set and unique uh, worldview that I have not seen in the Marvel universe before, which I think makes her really cool. Gives yeah. her a lot of really interesting new, like new kinds of set pieces and new kinds of stories you can tell. So she's great. She really puts Wolverine through the ringer. And then you know we have the hot claws. We have those hot claws. Yeah. All right. So wrapping up, uh, thinking about Wolverine, his legacy, all his many adventures. What aspects have been important for you when you've been writing him, you know, in these different sort of iterations, different periods in his life? What are the, the most important pieces for you? For me, it's it's a it's a very I've had a very interesting relationship with Wolverine writing him as a character because I didn't write him before I killed him. I wrote a little bit of Old Man Logan here and there uh, in like he's in my Astonishing X-Men run. He was in IVX a little, but it's different than writing him as a solo character. And I wrote X-23 a bit in Wolverines. And so I've I've. I've had some Wolverine writing, but my my time with Logan, Logan Prime, whatever you want to call him, is extremely limited. I killed him, and then I'm looking for him and hunt for Wolverine, and now I'm going to bring him back. So those jobs are are different jobs than writing, you know, a couple years of an ongoing Wolverine series or something like that. And so my job with all of these stories has been, you know, what should it mean when Wolverine dies? What should it feel like? And the 
the primary word I guess I had in my mind when I was writing that story was dignity. I wanted to make sure that he went off in a way that felt appropriate for who he was and everything he meant. And then Hunt for Wolverine has been about his his legacy within the Marvel Universe, about why everyone else cares about him so much and why he matters and why he's all the different lives he's touched over the years. And now the new story, the Return of Wolverine story, is really about who he's going to be in the future. It's not as much about his past. It's about what he's going to bring to the Marvel Universe going forward and, and what he wants out of the Marvel Universe, or well, Marvel Universe, out of his life, out of his new life, out of a second chance at life. And you think a lot about the different things he's done, the, all the stuff that you mentioned, all the suffering he's been through, all the, all the heroic moments he's had that have cost him a lot, have cost him everything, all the losses he's had. And you want him to have learned something from those things, but I want to try and write him in a way that he's not He's not weighed down by them necessarily in the same way. I want to give him really give him a, a, a fresh start. Nice. <laughs> I like it. Yep. Looking forward to it. Charles, thanks for joining us here on This Week in Marvel. Excited for all this Wolverine action coming up. And you guys can find out more about Hunt for Wolverine, Wolverine Dead Ends, and the return of Wolverine on Marvel.com. Stay tuned for Wolverine's big return this September. Thank you, Chuck. Nobody calls you Chuck Charles Soule. I'm going to just, I, I don't even know what he would do if I called him Chuck. He'd probably give me a look that would wither me. Well, since he's writing Wolverine now, do you think maybe we can just call him a kachucklehead? Ooh, yeah. that is good. See what I did there? That is very good. If you want to call him a kachucklehead, you could do that on social media. I you would could also, dare. <laughs> you could also tweet to us using hashtag This Week in Marvel. We do have a bunch of things from you guys on the Twitters this week. My question last week was, do you want the Leopardon or the Millennium Falcon? Which, like, if you had to choose yeah. the coolest ship in the galaxy or an awesome ship that turns into the coolest robot in the galaxy, what do you choose? This is a no-brainer. And I actually saw Solo, so I've seen, like, the Millennium Falcon's early days. And my answer is still Leopardon. That's right. Still Leopardon. Jim Radloff says, Leopardon or the Falcon? Gotta go with Leopardon, the user-friendly choice. That's right. Juan Chango Wences actually says, why can't I have a devil dinosaur instead of a robot or ship? Let's face it, it would be the best sidekick and mode of transportation. Oh, Juan, except for, you know, watch out those watch out for those claws. Yeah, except but Except devil still, dinosaur would never do that. Devil's the best. Yeah, that's a great one, Juan. Thank you for answering uh, the question. And Tech Lord, everybody Lex says, uh, I think the same question was in the book Ready Player One. I have to agree with Wade and go with the Leopardon. Who doesn't want a mech that can be a ship and is the smartest of watches? Ooh, I see what you did there, Tech Lord. So good. A couple of tweets from Brian Stranko says, I'm at a loss for words. I just heard your interview with Kevin Smith on episode 343, and I looked like one of his reaction videos by the end of it. To be addressed personally (laughs) by a man whose career I followed for decades is something I'll never forget. Kevin Smith is the best. Yeah. It was was a very sweet moment from Kevin. So thank you to Kevin, and you got it, Brian. Um, And Brian tweets to you, Jamie, says, I apologize for not acknowledging you sooner. You've been a fantastic addition to This Week in Marvel. Your energy and positivity matches the new theme music very well. As I approach the current content, I find myself disappointed that I'll only hear you once a week. Oh, Brian, there's no need to apologize. I'm so happy to have you as a fan. I'm so relieved to hear you've caught up. (laughs) Speaking of our music, Jimmy Yuren has a new podcast with his wife, Chantel Claret. It's called Podcast from the End of the World because the two of them, they moved to New Zealand for at least a a couple years. Oh, awesome. I had dinner with them a year or two ago and they were... 
love New Zealand so much. They were like, we're working to become, you know, partial citizens there. Oh, uh, how cool. They're living and working there. And I adore the two of them so much. And Jimmy has done the music for our show for years. Uh, and so it's it's wonderful. Oh, Jimmy, please tell us everyone sounds like Taika Waititi down there. <laughs> Simon Williams says, listening to episode 344, I enjoyed the Tribe Called Quest and Sir Mix-a-Lot references in Spider-Gwen 32. <laughs> All other Marvel comics should follow Jason Latour's example and include old-school hip-hop references from now on. I Agree. People don't <laughs> realize how deep Jason Latour's hip-hop knowledge goes and, like, appreciation. His love, it is hardcore. He loves wrestling and he loves hip-hop and comics. What a wonderful combination of things. Yeah. Uh, also a wonderful combination of things are the words that Simon puts together when he's talking about Spider-Man Renew Your Vows number 19. He says, quote, sexy Namor strikes again. Oh, I read that. Yeah. His eyebrow game bothers me. I feel like he <gasps> overplucks. How dare you? I know, I know. He you... doesn't pluck at all. That's just They're how just they like are. That? They're yeah. just like that. He I has mean... got majestic, kingly, royal eyebrows. His arches are just, there's so much. I, I just, Namor's, I'm... I'm not feeling Namor. I'm more of a... We got to... I can't. I can't. I can't I with this. I mean, I'm not against Namor. He's not unattractive. If you're not with Namor, you're against Namor. Well, as I found upon reading some back issues of things, Namor means business. Um, but this one is for everyone. It's from Melody Malone. Uh, she tweets, Pinocchio Collectibles is a nice shop run by a married couple in their 70s. Bella, and I forgot her husband's name, despite going there for 25 years, <laughs> they help you find what you want. It's also nice to just talk to them about comics history. They know their stuff. I believe Melody says this is in Brooklyn. She was tweeting to me about how she has a great comic shop, uh, and she's lived in Brooklyn because I posted a picture. Ron Richards and I, when we went on our little date this weekend, uh, <laughs> he, he chose a restaurant in Greenpoint, and I got there, and I looked across the street, and it was the building I lived 15 years ago. Wow. And I was like, this is freaking me out. I also, saw that. Also, the neighborhood has changed drastically. Oh, yeah. It was very strange to me. Anyway, uh, thank you, Melody, for that one. I love all the comic shop shout-outs, guys. Please keep them coming forever and ever. All your comic shops, I want to shout them out. One more to finish up, and it is from Kilson Rock, saying that this week in my life, I learned of This Week in Marvel because of Agent M and Jamie Frevely interviewing Kevin Smith. Now to listen to all the other episodes. Kilson, welcome aboard. Welcome aboard. Also, Kilson um, replied to a tweet I put up. I've been re-watching Luke Cage yeah. in preparation for Marvel's Luke Cage, premiering on June 22nd on Netflix. And I realized there was a very old-school Luke Cage reference when he gets out of the transformation. Oh, yeah, yeah, with the tiara. The tiara. Yeah. And I just I for completely forgot about it, so I tweeted that, and uh, Kilson noticed. Yeah. Yeah, I love me some old-school Luke Cage, and uh, I'm so looking forward to season two. Heck, yeah. It's going be wonderful. I'm excited for E3. I don't know what our episode's going to be like next week. And, guys, stay after the credits for a little extra message. It's like a proper Marvel production up in here. Uh, I'm Ryan. And I'm Jamie. This is Marvel. Your universe. Hey, are you guys Marvel Insiders yet? I mean, you should be. 
when you are a Marvel insider, you get points for like watching the videos, reading the Marvel.com stories, playing Marvel games, checking out our podcast, all kinds of good stuff that you're probably already doing. You should be doing it and getting something for it. You can redeem those points that you get for being a Marvel insider for exclusive rewards. And you can join at Marvel.com slash insider. Right now, though, if you tweet at Marvel with your dream Marvel insider reward using hashtag Marvel insider wish and hashtag this week in Marvel, it could become a reality. You never know. I don't know. I'm just saying maybe. And you earn 500 insider points just for that tweet. What is your dream Marvel Insider reward? I, I think mine, mine probably is to get like a full Modoc cosplay costume made. That would be super cool. So I could go around cons as Modoc. I'm just saying that's what I would want. That's what I would figure out. But you guys can only get your dream wish to possibly come true by tweeting. So do it up. Make sure you go to marvel.com slash insider slash FAQ for full details because terms and conditions apply.